Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today we are talking Ryan Lochte and the end of federal private prisons on Justice is Served. You are tuned into Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. Hello, Justice fans. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Justice is Served. My name is Chelsea Galicia, and I am joined by two co-hosts, fellow attorneys Shaka Smith and Yemi Abayami. Welcome back, Yemi, from your world travels. We're so happy that you are back. We've got a very interesting array of cases and topics that range from, like I introduced, Ryan Lochte to private prisons and a whole bunch of stuff in between. Let's get started by talking about Ryan Lochte, who a lot of people have nicknames for. I'm going to try and keep it professional (laughs) and respectful around here. He's certainly been tried and convicted of douchery in the court of public opinion. (laughs) Uh, But let's talk about the legal side. Uh, First, about whether, you know, I guess I should just start the whole story by uh, introducing, just in case you haven't heard, although I don't know if anybody in the world has not heard this story yet, about Ryan Lochte going on NBC and saying that he was in a cab with three of his teammates and the cab got pulled over by cops or people impersonating cops who then held him up at gunpoint and stole their money. That was the story that he told on NBC. The police investigated in Rio, and things kind of quickly fell apart, especially with the release of a surveillance camera footage from a gas station that showed there was a fight there, which made it very clear that at least the part about being in a moving cab and being pulled over by Police, I'm using air quotes, um, was an outright lie. The true part was that there was a gun involved and a request for money. The request for money was presumably because of the damage that the four had done to the back of the gas station. I guess they were looking for a bathroom, couldn't get in one, damaged a sign, peed outside... And uh, the security for the gas station was not very pleased with the damage, and so demanded payment. Is, did I get that all yeah, part I right? Yeah, I think that's exactly okay. right. Okay, great. So there are, uh, let's see, how should we start this? First of all, he comes out and he says, actually, sorry, I wasn't exactly careful or, what were the words? Candid. Wor- Candid, that was it. With my use of words, very well-crafted statement, but he sticks to the I was robbed at gunpoint and the victim of false imprisonment. I actually, as much as I do not want to defend him, think that in some respects he's right, although I'm not a lawyer in Brazil, and assuming their laws defining robbery are the same as ours, technically he was robbed. At gunpoint. And (laughs) I think you could look at it either way. Yes, was he asked to give money, but I think it was more of a negotiation. You did something, you were kind of in trouble, and you 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 engaged in a negotiation in a deal and said, you know what, like let's keep this quiet. Let's and people do this all the time when you're like in a car accident. Don't involve the insurance company. Let me just like do you lose a critical element of negotiation when there's a gun involved? I think you do. <laughs> I, I think I think I think that's right. I yeah. think that's right. 
Um, but apparently there was someone there who spoke English. I feel like the way Ryan Lochte presented it, I had no clue what was going on. All I saw was a gun pointed at me. Yeah, and, there was and a, a request for Marty. There was someone translating. Yeah. You know, so at that point, I mean, I think there could have been some alternatives there. Like, okay, let's call the police. I think Except w- if you have been to, to Rio or heard much about it, the police are pretty busy uh, with other more serious crimes. And I have heard many people, uh, including um, a friend who lived with me just recently and is from Brazil. She's from Sao Paulo. But, you know... Her parents were the victim of home invasion robbery, and the police don't really respond all that quickly, even to something that's that serious. So I would imagine that the security at the gas station is not going to think that the police are going to come running over this destruction of property that here in the United States, most police departments would take it a look at seriously and would come, you know, pretty quickly. But over there, it's not the same. But the police the police did end up going to the scene. They did not. I, uh, yeah, I don't think they did because I think after they paid the money. No, I, I think they arrived after they left. What? Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think they I think they had called the police and the police arrived after they left. But I to me there was a gun drawn and when there's a gun drawn, it, it, it's just hard to to, to see the negotiation factor. So I, I can see why or how the story was over-exaggerated. He did come out later and say that he was drunk giving that interview. I don't defend Lochte. He was by, drunk giving the interview. Yeah. He was still hung over from the night that he yeah. destroyed the gas station door. Exactly. So I don't defend something. him in, I don't defend him in any way whatsoever, but what the fact that a gun was drawn and money was exchanged, I can certainly see how he if may If a have. gun hadn't been drawn, they would have just... You know, gone exactly. off and been like, in, uh, I hate to say, it, entitled Americans that you know do something silly and then just oh, so if someone owes you money and you would prefer they don't go off, you think it's all right to pull a gun and ask for the money they but then actually the owe you? But the thing is, imagine someone I comes ta- onto your property and you know that whatever they're stealing stuff, they're damaging your property, and you're you know, let's say you're a homeowner with your gun, like you yeah. st- you sit still until you know the cops come or or, or, or until we you know resolve the situation. Maybe they have I, the right. To, the security guards who are. Part- Protecting the yeah. property, maybe they have a right to pull we a gun on We have to remember that the, the laws over there are not the same as the laws here, mm. and this is why Americans have such a bad reputation when they travel abroad. Is because they go over there thinking they first sort of own the world, and that the rules of what they live by apply everywhere around well, the world, I, and that's just I, I, not true. Well, I'd hate to generalize Americans <laughs> with that sort of attitude. I'm I saying the general that. reputation of Americans <laughs> traveling abroad is not of people who are courteous and respectful. I've heard uh, American commentators say, oh, what these kids were doing was what we all do. What's the big deal, you know, being yeah. drunk and causing property damage? I, I don't... What's the big deal? I mean, I guess, okay, you're not uh, killing somebody, but this is not how you should represent yourself here the big deal. or abroad. Oh, exactly. yeah, I, I agree. This was, this was an awful representation of America. It hurts us very badly, but again, do I think it's necessarily justified to have a gun pulled on you and then money demanded? And whether or not you classify that as a robbery, is it too far afield? I don't think so. So uh, obviously he added details in there that made it far more um, yeah. inflammatory, and I think that was incorrect. And you what know, was crazy yeah. was that like even some of these details he talks about how the rest of the team got down on the floor, but I, yeah. I stood up to the guys and said no. Actually, the <laughs> video I'm not going down. The video <laughs> kind of shows that. The video shows the guys sitting down on the sidewalk or something, and uh, him standing up, and the other guys are like pulling oh, at his shirt, yeah. like sit the heck down. Yeah. The the other bit about this is: is there a crime that he committed, Ryan Lochte, in telling this tall tale to the media? 
As far as I can see, there is not a crime in making something up to the media. Had he reported it to the police the same way, then there would be a charge of giving a false report to the police. So it depends if that's the same story he told police when they questioned him. And that we don't know. Um, and let's just say that he is uh, charged with some kind of crime. The likelihood that he's going to get extradited to Brazil, I think, is pretty low. We have a deal with Brazil where we do extradite people who are facing serious certain, certain charges. Offenses, yeah. It's more like on the order of murder and rape and things like that. But making a false statement isn't one of them. So based on the treaty we have, very unlikely we'd ship them out over there. And that, that's what made this case get, go a little bit more curious with um, the swimmer Jimmy Fegan, who they did catch before he was able to leave Brazil. Yeah, and right at the airport. Exactly. And then we hear you know about this $11,000 fine. But now Jimmy Fegan has come out and said that they tried to extort him and that initially it was somewhere in the order of 30000 that they asked for. And when he turned that option down, uh, they raised it to 46000 and they gave him the option of staying in Brazil while the investigation concluded, which would have lasted a little bit over a month. Well, but that's fair because Brazil probably knows that they wouldn't be able to get him back if they let him go. But but certainly the the what seems like to me to be an arbitrary fine and that he once he turned down, they raised this arbitrary fine. Um, and it turned out that the deal his lawyers were able to cut were that he had to pay this um, around $11,000 within three days or the fine was going to be raised to $46,000 until he could leave. Yeah, I mean, it's not the way that we would do it here. Um, but, uh, you know, again, this is a different country. And if that's the way that they do things, we have to respect that. I mean, it's not like they shot him on site for damaging something or something really uh, obscene like, you know... I, I think I heard recently that two Dutch guys were executed in some country for having five pills of ecstasy on them. That's like a hugely disproportionate punishment. I just, I just but wonder this if, one of yeah. charging them a lot of money if they if they didn't want to stay because if they left they were gone. So you got to overcharge them, I guess, to make sure that they're. It just and seems I think like it's that's not just, a policy of government. Well, I, I think it's just a lesson that if you're gonna commit. A, commit a crime in a foreign country or even in, engage in vandalism or things that can potentially get you in, into custody in a foreign country, be prepared to deal with consequences that aren't consistent with your home country, which might mean that you have to pay some strange, unusual, arbitrary fine um, that ultimately may or may not go to some charity. That Those are the consequences yeah. that you I just think for, for you, a, you take think on. But I think for a country that's hosting the Olympics, you expect, you expect certain international norms to govern and I, I know. No, I don't think this is I, under I, the no, purview of the Olympic Committee. This is laws, the criminal justice system in Brazil. Prevail. I, I, Whoever wins the most gold medals, you get the well, I know, I think, state who. I, I think police. Laws I think follow? police extortion is something on a different level, and so I think. So now, are we saying now that these swimmers, just because they're Olympic athletes, should be treated differently from like someone else who was no, caught I, I, I don't, doing this? I don't think they would have demanded thing? the same fine for someone to leave um, that they did in this case. I don't think it would. Well, I, I don't know if there's any way to tell. Well, the fact that he refused it and they raised it arbitrarily, he, he said, "No, I won't. I won't pick one of the two options." And they said, "Well, now we're going to charge you forty-six thousand. But that my my point is that that might just be how things are done in Brazilian in the. 
in, in the police oh, force I think there. Our common sense could govern here. Uh, I, I just, <laughs> I, I, all I know is that if I'm going to a foreign country, I'm not even engaging in any types of shenanigans that no. could cause me to even yeah. come into police custody in the first place. I don't I, want it. I agree. I I'm going to avoid agree. it. But if you and are, when, I, and when that happens, I've got to be prepared to deal with the consequences. Or I think you'd expect okay. certain things to to be um, somewhat synonymous when <laughs> coming from Western a foreign world. country myself. I don't expect anything. <laughs> I don't expect anything. Anything no. could come my way. And I know that. Yeah, Maybe that's why I would act differently. So the economy has laid out justice for Ryan Lochte yeah. by getting him dropped from all of his endorsements. There's three major endorsements. I think it was Speedo, Gillette, and I can't remember the last There was a Japanese one. air mattress yeah. company. And he was making around $2 million a year mm-hmm. on these. They have all dropped him. Uh I think, you know, it's it's fair. It's with pr- probably within the standard morals clauses yeah. that these companies have. We do have Those a different... Those are the kind of consequences I want to see for bad behavior. Not necessarily guns drawn, but yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> glad justice was served your way in this incident. Where we differ here is whether we believe that the endorsements are going to come back soon it, enough. Yeah, Yem, I think, Yemi yeah. and I vote no. No. I don't want someone who is not a liar representing my brand in any way, shape, or form, regardless of whether he's a talented athlete, which we all agree he is. I don't want someone who literally is the face of entitlement, of privilege, of dishonesty. <laughs> That's not. I, at what point am I going to have that person representing my brand? Why would I ever want that? Well, well I would say Lochte had... Well, we love our talented athletes in this country. We know that. But Lochte has also said he wanted, before this incident, wanted to swim in Tokyo uh, in four years. And more than talented athletes, we like athletes that continue to perform well. So uh, I predict if he uh, comes back from suspension, is able to, um, if he, if that's the what's doled out from, by the swimming association, that he will come back. And if he does well, I think those endorsements will start to pour in. Um, we love a good redemption story in this country. I and think so. if he went back to Brazil and faced the legal consequences there, then maybe. Uh, but I, being able to skip out when his teammates uh, all got caught up. And he was the one who was the... The ringleader. Yeah. I think we've all seen athletes that have been absolutely vilified by bad acts they've committed, and and more even horrific than Lochte, and they've come back from from some of those. So I I don't doubt by any measure that he will see those endorsements come back in them, and he's in the pool and doing well. Don't forget, again, the Olympics is four years away, so now we're talking about a 36-year-old swimmer. We don't even know that he's going to have the same the same kind of momentum that he had going into 2016. I think time will tell. I think think time will tell. I think think he'll do just fine. You're optimistic. I think he'll do just (laughs) fine. We love our athletes. Do you think this is the last time we're going to talk about these legal problems that Ryan Lochte? These particular ones, probably, yeah. This is it. It's just going to die. I I feel like anytime someone sees his face, they're going to think of this. I think this is his legacy, actually, that he's just (laughs) left. Maybe it's just recent, and that's why, but I think this is a legacy that he's he's left for himself. This is a pretty big... Even with Kobe and certain things that we've seen in the past with with our athletes and huge faux pas, they've managed to come back and do pretty well from them. So uh, I, I don't I'm doubt I'm glad him. he has a cheerleader in you. <laughs> I just know the way things are going to work. I don't doubt he'll come back and do just fine. All right. Well, speaking of will we t- be talking about these legal problems again, we have part two or three or four or five mm. in Tyga's legal problems with landlords. Yeah. Uh, we have a similar story to one we just covered, what, not even a month ago? Yeah, maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> Another incident where he owes six figures to a landlord that he bailed on. What are the de- details of this one? 
So Tyga rented a home in Malibu, and he now owes this um, FNS Investment Properties over $180,000 for um, back pay and rent. Uh, apparently, he abandoned the premises and just left them in disarray. He had painted the doors black. He was using this. Apparently, he was using this home for um, his clothing line, and of which had kind of Egyptian themes. And so he had painted Egyptian themes onto these doors. He had spilled con- uh, ink all over the concrete of the home, had poured ink down the, the drain, and then just, just left the property like that. And so now he owes a judgment of um, $186,000 to so the I, landlord. So I guess he thought because of the improvement value he added, he didn't have to. <laughs> it might make sense. Wow, you're an excellent defense attorney. <laughs> no. So I, we were wondering, like, why would any landlord at this point rent to him and Shaka, you had an interesting take on uh, on why well, somebody might actually come out ahead well, by doing that. Well, well, you always know there's something in the law called being judgment-proof. And I think people know that he's not judgment-proof. And that just means the person has no money. So regardless of guilt or innocence, you're not going to get you know the money that you're owed. With Tyga, at least you know you're going to get the money. You may have to sue for it. And uh, worst-case scenario, maybe you get some publicity for your... Do what? you? I mean, hey. is he huh? making a ton of money? Yeah, yeah. He seems to be making quite a bit. He's Now he's I, linked with the Kardashians. I, I know and, none uh, of his music. All I know, The only reason I know him is because he's dating a Kardashian. I don't know and, and, where, and, where he's re- receiving revenue from that. And so I think... Unless fi- it's pocketbook. <laughs> you kind of know at least financially he's secure. <laughs> so, oh, back. so he ended Backed up, by the full faith and credit of the Kardashian uh, yes. clan. Uh, oh man! He does pay that. He did pay the last judgment. So. Well, Finally. but he's also had. I mean, this is not the beginning of his financial. Was it? He's, yeah. you know, had back taxes that he hasn't paid. He has. Um, there's a claim against him by a jeweler that says he never got paid for certain jewelry he provided. Obviously, this is not the first time that um, a landlord has come to him. So clearly, yeah. he has financial issues. Yeah, and absolutely. he almost got arrested over it. Uh, but you know, uh, he paid. So you know, he paid <laughs> found the money. <laughs> All right, and um, last rounding out our Hollywood legal news. I, I guess. Does Ryan Lochte count as Hollywood? It kind of feels like a... He's a celeb. Yeah. He, he, he told a, a story that sounded like it could have come out of an action movie, so I guess it's <laughs> quasi-Hollywood. So this is um, a, a surprising decision by a judge hearing one of the cases against Fox's empire. Mm-hmm. We talked before on the show about how there are a number of cases, people coming forward and say that Fox ripped off their character or their idea for the show Empire, hugely successful show. Many of these just get tossed without ever going to trial. They never even settle because Fox is able to get them tossed out. Not so in this one case. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, so it looks like author Sophia Eggleston of The Hidden Hand uh, wrote this book that she believes her main character strongly resembles Cookie Lion. Which is, wasn't that herself? It's, it's, it was an it's autobiography. A memoir. Yeah, it's a memoir, yeah. So this is her. Um, she was a apparently like a, a drug kingpin or a queenpin, if I may. <laughs> <laughs> and she was very flashy, wore expensive clothing, cursed, had kind of an abrasive, she led a edgy personality. Yeah. Um, and so there were all of these, you know, went to jail for uh, drugs, lost her lover while she was in jail. There were certain similarities to Cookie Lion, who has uh, had all of these things happen to her on the show. So she's saying that, you know, you basically took my story and, and placed it into Empire. 
And what I loved about it, the judge did his homework here because he, <laughs> he said, you know, while there's certain things that are typical in this genre, gangs and shootings, that um, what's not typical is having this all happen to, like, the female head of a family. Um, so I guess the judge had kind of scoured the genre and looked at different books and, you know, had them research. But so he found that those were some essential elements that were um, in both that were atypical. Very interesting. So this case will proceed. And we will also proceed now to get a word from our sponsor. Take it away, Shaka. Yes, General Assembly. Thank you guys very much. Looking for a career in tech? Who isn't these days, right? Definitely need a side hustle. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe business data designer marketing. Trying to get that promotion or raise? To excel in in your career, you need 21st century training and skills. General Assembly is the largest and most respected school worldwide for people seeking to grow their talent and master the marketplace. Whether it's learning remotely online, always fun, (laughs) makes it a little bit easier with your schedule, or in person at one of their beautiful campuses, you can join the 350,000 people who have already gotten the training needed to propel careers in tech and business. Impressive. Wow. More than 2,500 companies worldwide hire GA's graduates, with 99% of graduates who participate in GA's career services landing a new role and field within six months of starting their job search. Even more impressive. Wow, almost 100. (laughs) Take control of your talent and career now. Find out more at ga.co backslash geek. That's ga.co backslash geek. Enter the promo code geek to save on your first class workshop or event. That's ga.co backslash geek. Code word, geek. All right. Thank you so much, General Assembly, for your support of Justice is Served so we can continue to bring this beautiful show to you free each and every week. Let's move on to some news that had me jumping for joy and which also made me feel a little like we are on the pulse of uh, sort of (laughs) legal culture in this country. Uh, A couple months ago, was it two months ago, we talked about the article in Mother Jones about a reporter that went undercover to a private prison, became a corrections officer, and wrote this lengthy article about his experience and what he saw and lots of things that that sort of reminded me of watching Orange is the New Black. (laughs) But uh, this was real life. And then just... This week, the uh, Department of Justice announces that it will end its use of private prisons when the contracts that they currently have signed with those three companies expire. Oh, my God, on a scale of one to amazing, how amazing was this? This was great. It It was a victory just for, like, human rights, yeah. So this has been a huge deal. I, I've been looking at this for a long time. It was a you know big part of Bernie Sanders' platform, which I've obviously been <laughs> an enthusiastic supporter of. So uh, this was really good news. And then, I mean, okay, so let's just continue the celebratory yeah, congratulations part. Yeah. It's, it's good news. I was surprised because I thought, and I imagine they still are, that these lobby, that these companies are so powerful that the government would never be able to pull this off. Well, we know it's because good news for a very tiny part I know. of the population. Okay, so let's already start with <laughs> yeah. the, the bad news in light of the... Still good news, just for a, for a few. <laughs> so it's... And for now. For when now, you, when you look at the, the reality of it, yeah. you're right. This is almost more of a bigger symbolic gesture than it is a real-life altering thing for our prison population. And that's because 
there's a small percentage of people who are in federal prison. Most of our prisoners are in state-run facilities. These only apply to federal prisons and only the federal prisons that are overseen by the Bureau of Prisons, not by ICE, not by U.S. Marshals. Those um, uh, uh, branches still have their contracts in place, and there's nothing about them giving the contracts up when they expire, and nothing about the states. So it doesn't really affect all that many people. Estimates I've heard are about 20,000. Yeah, 13 prisons. Yeah, so. and it's just about 10% of the prison population. If that. And but so the symbolic gesture. Yeah, and it is important because, uh, I mean, states could follow the feds gave the reason of a report that was done yeah. that showed sort of what we heard about in the article that the prisons were not safer they didn't actually deliver on the promise of uh, saving money it's still controversial about whether or not private prisons do or do not save money it's a little bit difficult to compare them apples to apples with the um, federally run prisons but as far as the study could tell, it wasn't any of this, um, it didn't deliver on this promise of all these dramatic savings. And the savings look to be at the uh, expense of quality of food, quality of correctional officers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These places were more dangerous. Fights were, broke out more often. People died, many of them in these facilities. So there didn't seem to be a great argument for keeping the contracts. Even then, I was still surprised because I understand how powerful these companies can be. Uh, did I miss anything about what the report highlighted? No, I think that's a lot of uh, you know what the report was talking about. You so, know the savings and also the fact that there's not it, 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 there's it hasn't been demonstrated that that private prisons are, are being more effective with safety and security. And definitely not with like education or any kind of helping these people restore their mm-hmm. ability to be productive members of society. And so it's good to have a government report that like you know details all of that. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it only slightly impacts. The, so the the main. Um, Private prison organizations are the Correctional Corporation of America and and GEO, and uh, and unfortunately, this is only going to impact a small percentage of their business operations. Although their their stocks took quite a plummet in the days right Mm -hmm. after this, I don't know. Maybe there is a way to run private prisons in in a way that's effective, and maybe now that they're seeing potential financial hit to the sort of way they're doing things, they might try to change. I don't know. I saw an argument uh, that somebody tried to make in an article that this was a bad thing, that what should have been done is that we should have tried to fix the problems in private prisons as opposed to try to do away with them. The only thing that would fix it would be the economic incentives, you know, and so... But there's no way to incentivize economically a company to care about these prisoners as people because as a corporation, their sole responsibility is to maximize a return for the shareholders. So I don't see a way that they could be fixed. I think when if, if they realize that they can take less of a profit, but taking that less means the government doesn't cancel their contracts and their stock price doesn't tumble, then all of a sudden that becomes a better route. So if they take that lesson in that way, then it could be a positive thing. But we'll see. But they would have to have significantly more contracts canceled than, than has well, been. Well, I mean, watching their stock price tumble today, maybe that might be their wake-up call to say, wait a minute, we need to start improving things uh, to a level that the government decides not to back us. We have now an official report saying it's not saving any money, safety and yeah. security is down. But of course, they disagree with the findings. Yeah. And they deny mm-hmm. what they saw in them. So. so we'll see if there's any, you know, 
change or pushback, but yeah. I, un- it's positive either way. It's un- good that this is happening. It is definitely good, un- unless there's a change in the law about the fact that corporations are only responsible to shareholders. I doubt that there's going to be a systematic change that's deep enough to justify the existence of these places. Because as of right now, I mean, we're literally just allowing companies to profit off of making people in prison even more miserable than they already are. Because as a corporation, you got to cut overhead to maximize profits. And there's just, I I don't see a a good way of fixing that. Well, the good thing is that with the report and seeing that the federal government has taken this step, you know, maybe states will follow suit and we'll see kind of more more of a snowball effect. Come on, California, we're looking at you. (laughs) All right. And now another... um, interesting sort of insight that we got into the Obama administration and its view on the bail system. So right now, sort of to illustrate how the bail system work, if let's say, um, I don't know, Yemi saw us, out, Shaka and I outside near her car and she thought we were vandalizing it, she could call the cops and have us, you know, arrested for vandalizing it. And the, the bail that we would have to pay would be the same. It's the no matter if Shaka earns a million dollars a year and I earn $10,000 a year, if it was, say, set at the schedule of $5,000 for this crime, that's what it is for both Shaka and I. And the uh, Obama administration wrote a brief to a federal court saying that this violates equal protection. It's unconstitutional because it doesn't take into account the disparity in income and resources among people. Um, how I, I was kind of, I was a little like, yay for this. But then I thought, I don't know, maybe Shaka could come up with some reason <laughs> why this is could. not. I'm curious. Yeah. So let me get your thoughts on this. Uh, I think it's uh, great. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. We're on the same page here. I don't, I don't know. For some reason I was expecting a little bit more of a Maybe moderate, like, oh, I don't know, this is, you know, we just got to... Well, no, I think bail should uh, be in accordance with the crime and, and your ability but is it to the pay. Cor- okay, there, that's the second part, is, is the ability to think, pay part. Yeah, both have to be weighed. Right. And they should be taken into account, really, if, if we're talking about whether I should be going to jail. I think a very important question is, do I have a flight? Is there a flight risk? That's the I, only question. Am I question. going to be a danger yeah. to, to society I'm, while yeah. I'm out there? Um, so if I'm not taking into account that and I'm just saying, hey, you have to yeah. pay this $160 you know, or $500. Yeah, so we're, we're talking right now specifically about a case in which a man, I shouldn't even laugh at this, but I am because I know I've done this, um, it was, I guess, arrested uh, for being a pedestrian under the influence. And... <sighs> Um, not a Ryan Lochte style pedestrian <laughs> under the influence, like just, you know, uh, respectable, well put together, held together uh, pedestrian <laughs> under the influence. But this man was caught and he has limited resources and mental health issues and he couldn't pay a $160 bail. So he was in jail for nearly a week until some organization bailed him out and then filed this suit on behalf of uh, of him and, and similarly situated people. When you look at it in that sense, like we kept a man in jail, we taxpayers had to pay how much money to keep him in jail for a week and like it could have been longer, could be months before. Uh, well, I mean, it would probably wouldn't have been months before he saw 
a judge. Yeah. But sometimes these people... It can be that long. I mean, or maybe not months, but uh, Human Rights Watch did a report called The Price of Freedom where they looked at um, certain crimes in in 2008 in New York City. And it said that um, of those who had been um, in custody for non-felonies, non-violent offenses, nothing with weapons, that 87—and bail was set at less than $1,000—87% of those individuals couldn't meet bail, and therefore they were in jail on average for 16 days for, again, nonviolent offenses that were not felonies, these were just misdemeanors. Um, and who knows, maybe they were innocent, maybe they weren't, but that was 16 days just because they couldn't And pay. that's a big problem because that's a part of the population that may have transient work. So that, that the job, if you don't show up the next day, you're fired. So all yeah. of a sudden you've lost your job. Yeah. And so it, it does impact even further than that. I appreciate that you threw in the detail about them not being necessarily guilty because I have seen some articles and comments that are like, well, if you can't afford to pay bail, then don't break the law. And those people yeah. are missing the part about these people have not been convicted of yeah. anything at this point. And what's worse is I, I worked in an early representation unit um, for the public defender in Miami. And so we had a lot of people that were taking guilty pleas just to be able to get out and go home. Um, so we wanted to make sure bail was set fairly and that they had due process rights, essentially, because a lot of times they were being offered, hey, look, you plead guilty to this crime, you get to go home, we know you got to be at work tomorrow, you know you have a family, and they plead guilty, and then the second or third time, now they have a history, a record. And that's really so, important, that that power dynamic shifts when you're in, you're in jail, you haven't been convicted, you haven't gone to trial, but you're in jail... Uh, the prosecutor's offering you something that's just, you know, and you're kind of desperate. To, I just want to get out of here. I don't belong here. I have to yeah. go to work. I have my family to support. You're more likely to take take some sort of plea that might be completely different than what you would have uh, negotiated yeah. if you were not, not in jail. In and then your bail's going to be a certain amount, you know, next time, the next time. So. so this is really interesting because this is, you know, very possibly could go uh, all the way up to the Supreme Court, a lower uh, court came up with a decision that was basically in line with um, the the DOJ's brief, and so I guess we'll just have to see as it makes its way through the courts. Very interesting. All right, and finally, a story that is really sad, but that will have you asking the question: Is it fair that these parents have to reimburse the defendants in this case, in a case that involves the death? of their own son, and these defendants were people that the parents thought were responsible for the death of their son. Okay, I kind of laid that out. I tried to lay it out simply, but I may have done made it more confusing than the actual story. So why don't I just start with the actual facts of the case? So this was um, a case about 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson. He was uh, on the high school football team in Georgia when he was found... Um, dead, rolled up in a gym mat that was propped up. He was found sort of the next day with his feet up in the air. And investigators say that he had like dove in to get tennis shoes out of the mat and he got stuck upside down and basically um, asphyxiated. He he suffocated to death upside down because he, I guess, couldn't get out. But the parents thought this does not seem right, and they actually had his body exhumed. They had it re-autopsied, and that autopsy found that he died from a blow to the neck. And so then the parents filed a $100 million civil suit against the defendants, 39 of them, for either being involved or covering it up. 
the parents had this theory that it was a kid uh, who was also on the football team who had a grudge against their son because of a fight from a few years earlier and that that teammate had recruited his brother to help them you know, kill Kendrick and everybody else, city officials, school officials, all got pulled up into this ginormous lawsuit. And then in March, the case was dropped. And now the defendants are like, we want to get paid back. They uh, are asking a judge for $850,000 collectively to be reimbursed for their attorney's fees. And a judge will make a decision on Monday about whether some or all of those fees will be need to be sort of repaid by the parents who have lost their son. Please tell me your thoughts on this. <laughs> I I was really surprised by this. Actually, I mean, this I think ha- ha- this type of a judgment really uh, disincentivizes people from, like, filing lawsuits in the first place because I'm afraid if I lose, if I don't have enough evidence, that I'm now going to be responsible for the attorney's fees for the other side, even if I do have a claim that might be might be reasonable. I mean, the circumstances of her son's death were very, very unusual. As yeah. you mentioned, there was the second autopsy where the, the, the coroner is saying that the death resulted from a blow to the neck. Um, I think there was like blood found there. I mean, there are a number of things that I think can raise a valid question. And I can understand awarding attorney's fees where someone files a completely frivolous lawsuit that has no basis and just no justiciable kind of question of law or fact that, you know, that could be accepted by a court. I think it makes sense in that case. But I think when you have the death of somebody under suspicious circumstances and, you know, a coroner's report to maybe support that, um, I think that's unfortunate that then a a family or a plaintiff might then have to be responsible for, for attorney's fees in, in that circumstance. And, and I agree with you. I mean, but that said, there were 39 defendants. So if anyone was pulled in that may have felt their involvement was frivolous, then that might be that might be something to look at because maybe they decided to over include everyone because they wanted to make maybe out of rage or upsetness with you know different people on the team, but so unless it's that kind of very unique circumstance, I don't think um, this is the kind of case you want going forward. Yeah, man, this one's really tough because even though that autopsy showed a blow to the neck and it looked like something suspicious was here, there wasn't anything as I understand directly tying those kids to having done it in that corner. And an autopsy can only say how somebody died, not who did it. So, but I feel so terrible for these parents. I mean, I, I would hope that if something happened to me that my and it was like a crazy explanation that my parents might look into it and see if that was really the case. So I don't blame them for investigating further and then wanting justice for their for their son. It's just suing people that may not have had any connection to it. There 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 were videotapes in the in the school that, you know, there was question as to like certain certain parts of the tape were missing. I think maybe there were like twenty six hours of tape and like two two hours were missing from one tape, an hour and a half was missing from another tape. So, you know, there was a question also was it the school, you know, playing with the videos, the the, the police department. Yeah. I I think you could certainly go after those characters because that, that's more rational in terms of like the supervisor the coach or people yeah. that were in a position of power but yeah. um, bringing in other people then and, and a criminal case hasn't really 
gone anywhere. Yeah. So I would understand that they would be frustrated and then go civilly because at first I thought, well, why didn't they just allow the criminal investigation to go forward? But by the time that they re-autopsied the son, it was like two years later. Yeah. And so a lot of evidence is you know, gone and difficult for law enforcement to investigate properly. So really um, bizarre story that raises a really interesting legal question. All right, that is it for us for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget, like, comment. You can uh, find me at Chelsea Galicia on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at Shaka Strong on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. <laughs> and you can, oh, yeah, I forgot about that And you that can one. find me at a Yum Yums on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs> See, See you guys. next week. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us. Info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio. Instagram me at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood, Hollywood. Redefined. Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.